Good. So if you are a visitor this morning, you are so, so welcome. It's so great to have you with us. Um, As Jackie said, my name's Dale, and I am part of the team that helps lead at New Life Community Church. I don't want us to uh, rush off, really, in our spirits from what God's doing amongst us this morning. I've got a word to bring, and we're going to get to that. But I want you to, to think in your minds and to know in your hearts that God is at work right now in this place, and he wants to even bring freedom, even as I bring a message Be expectant that something might break in your heart, something might be released over you. I want you to to be open to that this morning. It might have nothing to do with what I'm going to say, but if you open yourself up to what God is doing, you can receive something mighty from him this morning. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to look at our passage. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are at work. Thank you that you are a sovereign God. Thank you that you are, even then, you are intimately involved in our lives and interested in our lives. So Lord, I pray, open our hearts, open our ears, open our minds to what you are doing this morning, to what your spirit is saying to us, even as we look at your word. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Mark chapter 6, verses 53 to 56. That's the last few verses in Chapter 6. So, we've been, this is our ongoing preaching series in Mark, reaching the end of, of chapter 6. Now, before I read that passage to you, as you know, I like to give you a little bit of information about myself that you didn't ask or want to know. Um, this, this passage we're going to look at is a little bit, when I first read it, I was like, oh, you know, Jesus heals a bunch of people. That's awesome. They're really excited about it. And I thought maybe they're. Maybe they're really excited because Jesus is a celebrity visiting their town. And I thought, yeah, okay, even if I, even if I set that as the premise, what would make me really excited? Like, what would, I, what would I be really excited about? What would I run out of here once I'd finished my message and go and do this afternoon? And I thought, do you know what? If someone said to me, someone reliable, someone reliable said to me, Dwayne the Rock Johnson, hands up if you know who that is, Excellent. For those of you who don't know, he is a WWF wrestler. Okay, He's a huge mammoth of a man. He is uh, arguably one of the best actors. Excuse me. In modern cinema. Okay, If I heard reliably that he was going to be in Wimborne at the Minster this afternoon, I would have brought my sleeping bag and my chair, and I would go and sit there and wait for him to turn up. That's what I would do. Now, if you speak to Paul Williams about it, he thinks I've got an unhealthy, uh, I don't know, relationship with uh, The Rock. I don't. I just think he's, you know, genuinely a very good guy. But that is not (laughs) what this passage is about. And we are going to unpack what this passage is really about. Why people are really excited to meet Jesus in these verses. Mark 6, 53 to 56. After they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him, to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe. 
and all who touched him were healed. The first thing I want to do this morning is to highlight two key contrasts between this event and a couple of preceding events that we've already seen in Mark. First of all, I want you to remember that in the passage you guys looked at last week, if you were here, Jesus feeds the 5,000 and then he walks on the water. And one of the main points that would have come up in that, in that preach is that the disciples didn't recognize Jesus right away. They physically didn't recognize Jesus walking on the water because they thought he was a ghost. And they spiritually didn't recognize him because he once again was revealing himself to be God to them, and they just didn't get it. They didn't see it. Mark goes as far as to say in verse 52 that their hearts were too hard to take it in. They just couldn't comprehend what Jesus was revealing. So in that sense, they failed to see Jesus. That is the, that's the immediate context. That's what's literally just happened in the story. The disciples didn't recognize Jesus. And that's why there's such a crazy contrast here in 54, because the people, the crowd, they recognize Jesus at once. At this moment, Jesus isn't turning handfuls of bread and fish into basketfuls of leftovers He's not on an impossible stroll across a lake in the dark. He's just getting out of a boat. He's just getting out of a boat. There's no miraculous display of divinity. There's no jaw-dropping spectacle. But these people, this crowd, they've heard the stories about Jesus. And for them, that is enough. You know, one of the things that occurred to me when I was reading this passage, as I've said, is, is how excited these people were to see Jesus. They're running all over the place. They're trying to get to wherever they've heard, he'd be, heard he's been. Not where he is, necessarily, mind you, but where they've heard that he is. They're that keen to go and see him. Just the mere thought that he might be somewhere is enough to carry them there. But that excitement and that franticness, unlike my original thought, is not about celebrity whatsoever. It's not that they just want to meet this famous guy. It's, it's that they've heard he heals people. That's what they've heard. Remember, this is a time when there really isn't any medicine to speak of. No penicillin, no antibiotics, no real pain relief. If you got sick at this time... Your body either fought it off or you stayed sick and often you would die. That's what happened. If you had a disability or a, dis a debilitating disease, there was no care system in place. There was no way for you to survive except for you to rely on other people around you for everything. Now imagine you had a partner, a parent, a child or a friend who was in that position. And better yet, imagine that you heard that this guy, Jesus, was no ordinary guy. That he could make the blind see. He could make the lame walk. He could heal the sick and, and he could even raise the dead. And that he was coming to your town or the next town or wherever. You'd move heaven and earth to get them there, wouldn't you? That's what you do. And that's exactly what these people do in these verses. Maybe they've heard the story of the man who 
who couldn't walk, but was healed by Jesus because his friends lowered him through the roof, a hole in the roof in front of Jesus. He was lame and he could walk after that. It seems they probably have heard the story of the woman who was healed by the power of Jesus because she just touched the, the fringe of his garment. They're saying the same thing. They know that story. They've heard it. They might not have seen it firsthand, but they wholeheartedly believe that Jesus is capable of this. So now they're carrying sick people on mats to wherever they hear Jesus is, and they beg him to let them touch him. Now that takes commitment. It takes intentionality, organization. These guys, they're not doing it on a whim. It's not, well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, well, maybe we'll take you to see him. They are convinced that Jesus is able to heal. That's faith, isn't it? That's faith. In fact, it's the kind of faith that Jesus can really, really work with. I want to ask you this question, even, even as we're thinking about this. I want to ask you, have you seen the miraculous healing of God firsthand? Maybe you haven't. Well, that's okay. Neither had some of these people. But that didn't stop them, and it doesn't stop you from having the kind of faith that Jesus can do mighty, mighty things with. These people had heard the stories about Jesus, and they believed them. When we explore God's word and we read about all the incredible miracles that he did, we find our faith can be stirred as well. They'd heard the stories about Jesus and they believed him. And when we hear stories of people who either have been healed or have seen healing, our faith again can be stirred. Those testimonies really, really get us excited about what God can do. And I want to share a little testimony with you this morning. Because I personally know of someone who was dead and was brought back to life. And no, I'm not doing the Sunday school answer. It's Jesus. That comes later in the preach. My father-in-law suffered a heart attack at home. His heart stopped beating and he stopped breathing. He died. My mother-in-law performed CPR on him, but when the paramedics got there, he had been utterly unresponsive for 20 minutes. So that's a long time with no heart beating. It's a long time with no breathing. My wife and I were contacted about this time. And we were informed that there was little to no hope that the paramedics would be able to do anything. They were just going through the motions, if you like. So we prayed. My mother-in-law, as she sat beside his body, as the paramedics worked with him. Michelle, my wife, in the car, as she was on her way to comfort her mum and be with her. And me, in my work van, as I headed home to look after my kids. I'm going to tell you what I prayed because my prayer wasn't pretty, it wasn't eloquent, it wasn't even authoritative. This is what I said. I said, God, I know nothing is impossible for you. And I know you've done this kind of thing before, because I've read about it in the Bible. So I'm asking you to raise this man to life right here and right now for your glory and for all of our good, because he's a great guy and we love him. That's what I prayed. And I kept on praying it all the way home. 
And as I was sorting the kids out while I was making their dinner and doing all that stuff, I just kept praying, God, I know you can do it. I'm believing that you're going to do it. I'm asking you that you raise this man to life. And then I got the call from my wife. And I thought, this is one of two options right now. One, it's what we thought was the case initially, and, and it's done. Or two, God has answered my prayer, and this guy is alive. And Michelle said something along the lines of, he's alive. He's alive. The paramedics are utterly stunned. They say he shouldn't be here, but he is. And we're going to the hospital now, and he's in a bad way. And we've got lots more praying to do because he could have brain damage and all sorts of terrible things, but he's alive. And my heart near enough exploded with joy. And I spent the rest of that evening and the next few days just praising God and glorifying him in, in my quiet moments because he'd answered our prayers. The really cool thing is you can ask him about it yourself. He's on the leadership team over in our Verwood site. His name is Paul Fox, and believe me, he loves telling you this story. You're doing him a favor if you ask him. <laughs> Mainly he loves to point out with pride that it is the, the air ambulance paramedics that worked on him. He loves those guys, likes the helicopter, but you can ask him. He went on the radio not too long to talk about it. Uh, he's a, he appeared in the air ambulance magazine. This, <laughs> it was a big deal that this guy is walking around today. I can give you further testimony. He, he did not have the brain damage that was assumed. The guy's on the leadership team right now. He's got some memory problems, but, you know, he's old anyway. <laughs> I hope he's listening to this. <laughs> the thing is, I had never seen this happen before. I'd never seen that somebody raised from the dead. But I believed that God was able now, please hear me. I am not saying that I am great in any way. I am saying, I'm telling you point blank, that God is great in every way. Okay, let's look at the second contrast in terms of this passage. Remember when we looked at the start of chapter 6 and Jesus took a trip to his hometown of Nazareth. And like the disciples, the people there didn't recognize Jesus either. They couldn't see his power or authority. They could only see the boy next door, effectively, the guy they grew up with. And as a result, in Mark 6, verse 5, we read, Because of their unbelief, Jesus couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. As I said when I preached that passage, if that's a bad day, that's good, you know? I'll take that. But nevertheless... Because of their unbelief, Jesus couldn't do any miracles among them. What a contrasting bookend this passage is to the end of the chapter. It's not just that the people in Gennesaret recognized who Jesus was physically. It's that they recognized who he was spiritually. They did see the power and authority of God at work in him. Here in these verses, people are being healed left, right, and center due to the abundance of faith they have in him. I'm going to just put a little caveat in here and say, if you're hearing me say, if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith, you're hearing me wrong, because I'm not saying that. I'm saying there is a connection between 
when we have faith and abundance of it and what God does and when we don't have faith. I'll pick up later about what happens when we have faith and we don't get healed or don't see that healing because that happens and we need to talk about that. But I want you to see that point, that connection that, that is made in God's word. When we have an abundance of faith, God does an abundance of stuff. When there is no faith, stuff doesn't happen. I want you to imagine a packed marketplace full of stalls, heaving with the hustle and bustle of people buying and selling goods. And in the center, there's a sea of people lying on mats, leaning on walking sticks, hunched over bowls. And as Jesus winds his way through the crowds and passes each of them, they cry out, Jesus, Jesus, let me touch your cloak and I know I'll be healed. And one by one as he passes, person after person jumps up. The lame can walk. The sick are healed. The blind can see. Imagine that happening as he walks past and people are just jumping up everywhere, praising God. That must have been chaos, utter chaos. The point is not that these people recognized him. Oh, look, there's that guy, Jesus. It's that they believed he had the power to do something about the things they were offering to him, the problems that they had. But I think there's something else happening here too. Because I think these people had a default assumption that Jesus wanted to heal them. Do you ever think about that? And that leads me to my next point. Throughout the Gospels, people encounter Jesus and he just heals them. But have you ever thought about why Jesus heals people in the New Testament? Sometimes the answer seems pretty obvious. In fact, Scripture tells us sometimes Jesus heals people so that God might be glorified. Sometimes Jesus heals people so that Jesus' authority might be demonstrated. But that's not the root. It's not the core reason that Jesus heals people. The core reason that Jesus heals is that it's a fundamental part of his character. I'm going to prove it to you. Let's shift our focus for a moment to the book of Exodus. You're all thinking, okay, I don't know why we're going there from here, but okay. In Exodus 15, God is talking to his chosen people, the Israelites. He's recently freed them from slavery to the Egyptians. And he's done that by inflicting a bunch of plagues on the Egyptians that have affected every area and aspect of their lives, up to and including their physical bodies. And in Exodus 15, verse 26, God says to this people, his people, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes... I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians. That's good news. But then he says this, for I am the Lord your healer. I am the Lord your healer. Right at the end, God reveals one of his names to his people. If you don't know, God has many names in that sense, many ways of describing himself. This one is Yahweh Raph, the Lord, your healer. 
And God doesn't randomly assign names to himself. He didn't, I didn't like the last one. I'll just give you a different one now. When he shares or reveals a name to us, it's because he wants to share something essential, and something personal about himself. So this revelation of God's name is also a revelation of his very being, of who he is. It's fundamentally true of God's character that he's our healer. It's a part of who he is. He is the God who heals, who restores, who makes whole. You can trace his healing activity throughout the Old Testament as he healed people from plagues, from leprosy, from sickness, and he even brought people back to life. So when we see Jesus healing either specifically individuals or groups of people, like in our passage. He's not just being kind. He is, but he's not just being kind. He's not just doing people a favor. He's demonstrating something that's inherently true of his God nature. He is Yahweh, our healer. But what does that mean for us? Well, Hebrews 13 verse 8 says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means his nature and his character is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. The things that are fundamentally true of him are immutable. That means they're fixed, permanent. Which means that Jesus is the Lord, our healer. Our healer. He is the one who heals, restores, and makes whole right now, today. So my dear brothers and sisters, that means that our default assumption should be that God is pleased to heal us, that he wants to heal us. It's in his very nature. When we ask God to heal us, we're not asking for something that he doesn't want to do. We're not twisting his arm around his back. We're asking him to do something that's part of who he is. That's like asking me to parent my kids. That's like asking me to look at your car. Yeah, okay, it's just something that I do. It's um, it's part of who I am. Not that he will always heal us. There are times and seasons And more importantly, reasons that only God knows for not healing us in this life. That is true. Even though it's part of God's character, even though we know it pleases him to do that, there are ways and and thoughts that are above our ways and above our thoughts that lie with God. And it's good that that's true. Otherwise, God would be like us and that would be horrendous. But because he is sovereign, because he is greater, because he's all-powerful, all-knowing, sometimes we don't get healed. The prayers that we pray don't get answered in the way we like or when we like. But even then, even then, the future trajectory is that we will be completely healed. I'm going to read to you Romans 8, 18 to 23. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day 
when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us all of our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. I love that. That is, that is a passage that summarizes hope for me. Hope for now and hope for tomorrow. You see, this world and our physical bodies are subject to the consequences of sin. Things like disease and decay affect every aspect of God's creation right now. Even the healthiest person will get old and will eventually die. We know that. That's what happens. Even a person who's been miraculously raised to life will die again, unless Christ comes back before then. That's what happened to Lazarus. Not walking around now that I know of. The whole of creation is groaning and aching for a day when it will be restored and made new. Because on that day, there will be no more pain, no more suffering or sickness or disease or decay. On that day, God will give every believer a new resurrection body, free from the effects of the curse brought about by our sin. And on that day, we will fully see and understand the depth and the magnitude of the compassion and love of Yahweh, our healer. When we see Jesus healing... It's like a foretaste. It's like, it's his restoration and new creation, just breaking out early. Sin and sickness and death is not God's original plan. And he has made a way to put things back exactly how they should be. But it's in his time. And it's in his way. I want to finish with this point. The Lord is not just the healer of your physical body. We often think about that, I think. We often, when we say healing, we often think, yeah, you know, if I'm sick or, you know, whatever uh, physical ailment I've got, I can come and be healed by God. Psalm 103 pairs the forgiveness of our sins and the healing of our bodies together. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and he heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. The Lord is our healer in a much fuller sense than just in terms of our physical bodies. He's forgiven us for our sins, which are the things that corrupt not only our bodies, but our souls. He's forgiven us. He's redeemed us from death by dying in our place. 
And he will continue to lavishly pour his love and mercy over us for eternity. So that physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, we will be healed. And get this, not just as good as new, but entirely new. Entirely new. So that what we've experienced in this life, which we think is healthy and good, will pale into insignificance when we consider how good, how beautiful, how wonderful our existence is with Christ. What a glorious, beautiful, joy-filled hope that is. And with that in mind, I want to take one last look at our passage. The people recognized Jesus at once. And they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. Beloved, if this is the reaction people have to the frailties of their physical bodies, how much more should they and we desire the healing that comes from Jesus Christ but affects our soul? Do you see what I'm saying? We are surrounded by a world made up of people who are spiritually sick. The disease of sin has corrupted their souls, the same as ours have been. They are our partners, our parents, our children, and our friends. We are the ones who have recognized who Jesus is in this life. We know that he embodies the power and authority of God. And we know that in his very nature, Jesus is predisposed and pleased to heal people, not just of their physical ailments, but of this spiritual sickness. He is able to cleanse them, make them clean of their spiritual disease, of sin. He's able to make them holy. That is perfect. And that's what we are when we call on his name. Brothers and sisters, it's our job to run to the villages, the cities, and to the countryside and to gather up and carry the broken, the blemished, and the sick to meet him, to encounter Jesus, their healer. That's what we're called to do. Verse 56 They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. You know, the they in this verse is the friends of the sick people, actually. They intercede on behalf of those in need of healing. How do they do that? They call on Jesus' name. They beg him to let the people touch his robe. And we get to do that too. We have the privilege of calling out to Jesus on behalf of those people that we desperately and passionately care about. Those people who don't know Jesus and therefore are spiritually sick and unwell. Now they are the ones who need to reach out and grab him with both hands. That's on them. But we can bring them to him. We can invite them to meet Jesus in all sorts of ways. By inviting them to events, by telling them the gospel, by living out a life that embodies what it looks like to follow Jesus. And we can petition Jesus in prayer to come near to them. 
We can pray prayers like, Jesus, I pray you reveal yourself to this person. Come and encounter them. We can pray for healing for people who don't know Jesus because that's a way that he reveals himself. He's going to heal not just their physical bodies, but their their spirits also. We can petition God to do that. And we can do that knowing full well that he is more, more than capable to completely heal anyone who's willing to receive him, whether that's their physical bodies or their spirits. I'm just going to ask the worship team to come up as I draw to a close and just give you a little conclusion. Here is the conclusion. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. And there is nothing stopping you from having the kind of faith that Jesus can do mighty, mighty things with. Nothing. As God's people, we need to be like the crowd in Gennesaret who heard the stories about Jesus and just believed them. For us, that means exploring God's word and reading about the miracles that God has done. It means listening to testimonies from others who have been healed or seen people healed, and then allowing those things to stir faith in our hearts. We need to recognize the power and authority of Jesus so that we can be sure that he can do something about whatever situation we present to him. And we need to start from a default position that knows that God is pleased to heal us, that he wants to heal us because it's in his very nature. He is Yahweh, Raph, the Lord, your healer. And even when we don't see that healing in our time and in our way, we need to cling to our hope in Jesus that one day we won't just be healed as good as new, but as entirely new creations. And finally, we need to be those people that gather up and carry the spiritually broken and the sick to meet Jesus their healer, even as we petition him to come close to them. I'm going to ask us to stand. The worship team are going to lead us in worship again. I was asking God how he wanted us to respond to this word this morning, and I think there might be a few ways. I think the first one is if you have come in this morning and you didn't know that Jesus is Yahweh Raph, the Lord, your healer, maybe you have to take a minute to respond and receive that into your heart, let it do you good so that it's not just a head thing. Dale told me it and I know it. It's something that you've received in your heart that Jesus has implanted there, revealed a different thing that you didn't know about his character. Maybe you just need to take that moment in worship to do that. Maybe there are those of you who want to have your faith stirred by God and that is going to involve you getting stuck into his word, looking at those miracles that he's done. It might involve you talking to people, going and finding my father-in-law and asking him, hey, I heard you died. But before that, there's a moment that you might need to take and say, actually, God, that all that aside, I want to tell you this. I want you to stir that in me. I want to open myself to that. I want... I want to give you permission to come and change my perspective and stir my faith. And I believe there are people here this morning who want to just get prayed for healing. How can I do a preach on healing and then not (laughs) invite people up to be healed? 
And remember, that's not just your body. It's not just a physical healing. There might be emotional stuff. There might be spiritual stuff. We come to Yahweh Raph, the Lord, your healer, who is not only predisposed to heal you, but pleased to. So maybe you come down the front, front and find me. Maybe you just turn to the person next to you and say, can you pray for me about this thing? We can minister to one another. That's good. But whatever we do, let's, let's meet with Jesus. Let's receive what he offers and holds out to us this morning. And then let's worship him. Let's glorify his name. Let's praise him. He's the one true God. The holy, the mighty, the glorious Yahweh who reigns over all. Let's worship him and give him the glory he deserves. I'm going to hand over to these guys.